listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. You're listening to the NASP Podcast. This specialty pharmacy podcast is a collaboration with the National Association of Specialty Pharmacy and the Pharmacy Podcast Network. The mission of the National Association of Specialty Pharmacy is to improve specialty pharmacy practice by promoting continuing professional education and certification of specialty pharmacists while advocating for public policies that ensure patient access to specialty medications. As the healthcare industry's leading podcast dedicated to the pharmacy profession, the Pharmacy Podcast Network is proud to bring our listeners the NASP Podcast in collaboration with the National Association of Specialty Pharmacy. Hello, my name is Sheila Arquette, and I am the President and CEO of the National Association of Specialty Pharmacy. I am delighted to welcome a very special guest, Bethany Colick, PharmD, CLS, to this episode of the NASP podcast. Bethany joined Amgen in 2018 and currently serves as a cardiovascular medical director and asset lead for the U.S. medical team. Her focus in this role is to advance the standard care for uncontrolled LDLC and address the associated CV event risk reduction. Prior to joining Amgen, Bethany was an assistant professor of pharmacy, adjunct professor of medicine, and clinical pharmacist in the Division of Cardiology at the University of Texas Health at San Antonio, Texas. She established the clinical pharmacist role for the inpatient cardiology acute care and critical care units and established an outpatient ambulatory care PharmD clinic for patients with cardiovascular disease with special focus on heart failure, lipid disorders, ischemic heart disease, and resistant hypertension. Bethany is a graduate of the University of the Incarnate Word, where she received her PharmD. She completed her undergraduate studies at Texas A&M University and completed her postgraduate residency training at the University of North Carolina. Bethany, thanks so much for joining me today. To get us started, can you provide us with an overview of cardiovascular disease in the United States? Yes. Cardiovascular disease is a leading public health care crisis in the U.S., and it has been for the last 50 years. We know that someone experiences a heart attack or stroke every 40 seconds. What most people don't know is that LDL cholesterol is a main culprit for cardiovascular events. The good news is that it's modifiable, so lowering it is a great way to start to address the risk of cardiovascular events like heart attack or stroke. Any idea why, Bethany? Because it seems like, you know, with all of the, you know, the medical innovation and the emerging science over, you know, my years as a pharmacist in, in treating cholesterol, why why don't folks understand that about LDLC? Mm-hmm. Yes, and certainly. I think that there's many reasons for this. Sometimes obtaining proper access to care can be really challenging, especially for women, which I think we'll get to a little later in the podcast. I think that the other thing to remember is that um, many people have relatively easy access to a blood pressure monitor. They also have relatively easy access to a glucose monitor. Uh, But what is what feels to some people um, as it's um, not as known or not as easy to access the perception about cholesterol. They think that it's something that can only be obtained from their doctor. And that's certainly one place to have your cholesterol checked. But there's also various retail pharmacy opportunities, as many of our listeners know, where patients can come right up to the window and ask for their cholesterol to be checked or to attend one of those second Saturday screenings to get that screening done there. 
But because we know that LDL is less uh, acted upon in the community, it's why we at Amgen are really dedicated to addressing cardiovascular disease factors such as LDL, because it is so prominent, but is so under-tested. And so pharmacists have a great opportunity to address this gap. And we at Am Amgen have a bold ambition to half the number of heart attacks and strokes in the U.S. by 2030 by having multiple partners at the table to drive urgency around this LDL testing and accelerate evidence-based care and clinical practice. And, and who would these multiple partners be? Who, what are we talking yeah. So we have been really pleased to bring together key scientific societies, such as the American College of Cardiology, the Family Heart Foundation. We've also convened this year a, a leading awareness to action implementation uh, consortium for cardiometabolic efforts, or LATTICE for short. And this is 14 key opinion leaders from across the United States who have expertise at scaling action to embed evidence-based tools into clinical practice. And so we're honored to be joined by many of the top organizations scientifically and patient advocacy groups, along with many pharmacists, physicians, and nurse practitioners who are really leading efforts in this space. Wonderful. So now let's talk about something that that's personal for both you, you and me. How many women in the U.S. are living with cardiovascular disease? Yeah, it's a great question and one that we should be talking a bit more about because the impact of heart disease on women in the U.S. is significant but under-recognized. In the U.S., nearly 48 million women are affected by heart disease. Um, and so it, it does vary by racial and ethnic group. And so it's important to recognize that Black, Hispanic, or Native American, or Native Alaskan women in the U.S. carry an even higher cardiovascular burden compared to their white women counterparts. But across the board, uh, the, the prevalence of cardiovascular disease in women is just as prominent as it is in men and requires the same level of attention. Have we been able to identify why in, in those um, racial and ethnic groups, the risks are higher? Yeah, we have a lot of genetic studies that have done evaluations and found that much of this is genetically predetermined. Um, it is just the nature of um, some of the differences uh, by race. And then there is also the known complexities um, in ethnicity as well in terms of uh, lifestyle and um, dietary habits and um, um, things of that nature. But we also know that many women um, have challenge accessing care, not only for um, for the sake of um, maybe not having access in the traditional way that we think of, but also uh, uh, thinking about access in terms of these women are often caregivers for all of the people around them. And so when we see people living in communities of family, women often are the ones stepping in not only to care for their children and their spouse, but also their parents. Um, and so paying attention to females living in, in close proximity and community um, with their families is a really great opportunity for pharmacists um, when they see the male counterpart seeking attention and care for their heart disease to also ask ask about the women that they live with and love. Right. right. We're sandwiched between, right? So many um, responsibilities. Yes, indeed. So studies show that there can be inequities within the healthcare system that make proper cardiovascular care difficult to access for many patients, but a particular burden for women, as, as you pointed out. 
Can you share more about the experience of female patients in cardiovascular care? What does that look like for them? Certainly. As I've mentioned already, there are some gender biases and inequities in healthcare. The other thing that I think it's really important to keep in mind is the symptomatic presentation of women. It can be different than what men present with or what we think of as the prototypical signs. So that crushing chest pain, that left arm pain may be the quote unquote typical presentation of a heart attack. But many times, women present with what we call atypical signs and symptoms. And so these atypical signs and symptoms would be things like nausea or jaw pain or back pain. And so many times if a woman presents to urgent care or otherwise, they may be dismissed with a diagnosis of non-cardiac chest pain or acid reflux or GERD, when in fact they may present again weeks or months later. And we see when they get proper screening, proper testing and proper diagnosis that they did in fact have a heart attack back when they presented with those atypical signs. That's really interesting um, because these atypical signs and symptoms are really, right, the, the signs and symptoms that women have associated with so many either diseases or issues that they may present with, right? They're, they're so innocuous. They are. And this is why when I was in clinical practice um, in the emergency department or even in the ICU, I always tried to keep a really close eye on the female patient to say, okay, let's not too quickly dismiss this as non-cardiac, but let's go through and do the full workup. What lab testing would we be doing if, if this was a male patient that we thought was having a heart attack? Um, what EKG screening would we be doing? What screening or testing or diagnosis would we be taking them for either Either, um, stress testing or something in the cath lab. And so I think that it's really important to have both lenses, both the typical lens of how we think heart attacks present, but also that atypical lens so that we make sure we don't miss anybody. So when we're talking about women and in, in younger women in particular, do you think, um, you know, if, if uh, a woman goes to their healthcare provider and, you know, has some of these symptoms that that's the first thing that their provider thinks about, oh, this could be cardiac related? I, anecdotally, I'll say I, I certainly don't think so, because, you know, for the longest time, we've thought of heart attacks as really the disease of our grandparents. And so when we think about a heart attack, we think about the typical older, maybe graying individual. But truly, we know that cholesterol development and buildup starts very early in life, um, as early as the third or fourth decade. And so when women present to their healthcare practitioner, this is why it's really important to do cholesterol screening. Unfortunately, even with that cholesterol screening with elevated levels of cholesterol, women with cardiovascular disease are 8% less likely than men to be treated with cholesterol medications. People that get guideline recommended care are more likely to be white or have higher income or health insurance. And so it's really important to make sure that we're being fair and equitable in everyone that we're offering treatments to. And I think that this is an opportunity for pharmacists across care settings to pay attention to. Absolutely. So we've talked about, right, some of the, the burdens um, and, and the access to care issues for women. But, but that's interesting that once they are diagnosed with cardiovascular disease, they're still less likely than men to be treated with cholesterol-lowering medications. Any idea why? 
I think that there, this is a multifactorial issue. It's one though that has some really great resources to address it. Um, there are many organizations out there who put out very helpful resources and tools that we can use as pharmacists to help educate patients on what is cardiovascular disease? What are the risk factors? Have you had your cholesterol checked, your blood pressure checked, your A1C checked? What is your weight? What is your diet? What is your lifestyle? And then beyond that, once they understand the risk that they're at, there are also additional materials for pharmacists to be able to give to their patients to say, here are some questions to ask your doctor at the next visit um, or your PCP. Here are some questions to ask about the treatment options available. Have a conversation about what is your actual level, what is your goal level, and what are the treatment options available to you. It's found that when patients engage in shared decision-making conversations with their healthcare practitioner, that practitioner um, receives it as someone who is engaged in advocating for their health and they they are more likely to offer the full range of, of treatment options available, knowing that that patient is engaged and willing um, to take those therapies for their health. So I think every pharmacist, right, has a story about why they became a pharmacist, right? What led them down that path? And so can you share a little bit, um, you know, from, from about your story and, and how you got to where you are and, and, you know, the focus on cardiovascular disease? Certainly. When I was um, very young, I had a cousin who um, had epilepsy and was taking so many medications. It just really intrigued me that this little five-year-old boy was swallowing all of these pills to help manage his epilepsy. And so that's what got me into pharmacy school. But in the middle of pharmacy school, my father had a massive heart attack. My grandfather had quintuple bypass surgery, and my grandmother was diagnosed with atrial fibrillation. Across the three of them, with all three of those being cardiovascular diseases, this is really what inspired me to learn more about cardiovascular care. Add that on with the fact that when I was an intern and we did these second Saturday screenings, and I started to see so many people in the community who were eager to learn about how to improve their health and often didn't know what treatment options were available or how to go about navigating the healthcare system. This is what really um, challenged me to say, what can I do to not only help those patients that land in the ICU, but also I ended up setting up an ambulatory care clinic to help patients um, live healthier with their chronic conditions once they were discharged from the hospital. Also, based on, you know, your family experience and then your, you know, your career path and that journey, how does that influence your approach at Amgen? Yeah, so towards the later stages of my time as a professor and a clinician, both in the ICU and in the ambulatory care setting, I took a special interest in understanding what does the patient in front of me understand about what I just said? Because I said a bunch of words, but did it make sense and did it? translate in a way that they can leave this visit and do something with the information I just gave them. And so this is um, all housed within the context of what we call shared decision-making, which takes uh, a patient from the information gathering stage to the conversation stage to an eventual decision stage. And so here in Amgen, my focus is on taking the data that we've generated from clinical trials, translating it with simplicity to communication, not only to HCPs, but also to patients, and then finding easier and more practical ways to embed those recommendations in that care into the clinical practice setting. It's why we at Amgen 
Hampton really value the 2022 American College of Cardiology expert consensus decision pathway, which really simplifies um, the LDL targets for patients with cardiovascular disease and really simplifies the approach to how therapies can be made available for patients. And I think that this is something that all of us as pharmacists um, can realize that we play a really vital role in raising the awareness and the education of so that patients can take action with their PCP. So other than their own personal experience, how can practicing pharmacists today learn more about these treatment inequities? And, and how can they help to overcome some of the barriers to care? There's been so much focus, right, on addressing social determinants of health. What can pharmacists do? I think that's the first step is recognizing the gap in some of the social determinants. The awareness of the disparities, not only in the care that um, people seek, but also in the availability of prescription offerings to people is really key. I had a neighbor who learned I was a pharmacist at Amgen and started asking more. And when he learned what I did, he had said, I've never been offered that therapy and I have high cholesterol. And so I think part of it is us as pharmacists, just making sure that once we understand what the patient's diagnosis is or what our customers are being treated for, um, making sure that they understand all of the options available to them. And that's why I just really love that we as pharmacists are in such a unique position to have more regular touch points with patients and have the opportunity to build these trusting relationships to help them address their needs. The other thing I'll say is that if pharmacists are looking for more information in addition to everything that's out there from so many of the continuing education opportunities, we have more information about lipid management available at lipidlink.com. Awesome. That, what a great resource, right? As the, as the trusted medication experts that it, this is a, a tremendous opportunity, right? I, I'm sure, I don't know about you, but I think you would agree, but that's what I went to pharmacy school for, right? To make that difference. Exactly. Yes. And it's so nice to be able to be in a position to do that. So we've talked a lot about, right, some misconceptions and, and how do we support underserved populations and, and women as well in accessing the care they need? What are some important steps that we can share with pharmacists that they can take in these regards? Yeah, certainly. I think that the pharmacists listening here are already taking the first step, making themselves aware of the statistics across the United States, but also the statistics specific to women. I think um, pharmacists also aligning to a really bold ambition. What can we do to bend the curve downward so that we don't continue to start to see rise in cardiovascular disease? Whether that be in the retail or community setting, the hospital setting, the clinical setting, um, whether that be through second Saturday screenings, volunteer efforts, education efforts, or even just talking to the people in your local community, there's so many opportunities for pharmacists to just be raising the awareness of cardiovascular disease as the number one public health care crisis in the U.S. Any closing thoughts, Bethany, to share with our listeners? I really appreciate having the opportunity to be here with all of you today. I will say that we all know, um, having been through pharmacy school, it's a long journey, but we all did it with a passion and an ambition and a purpose in mind. And so I just encourage every person to think through every day, who is this patient or who is this customer that I'm going to be able to make a difference in the life of today by raising their awareness of maybe a disease state that they didn't even know that they were at risk for. So find your passion, find your purpose and pursue it. 
And again, for those of you who haven't visited yet, lipidlink.com. I can't wait to check it out after, um, after this conversation. Well, thanks so much, Bethany. Thank you. Amgen is a corporate member of NESP. One of the benefits of corporate membership is the opportunity to be my guest on one complimentary podcast per year. For more information on this or other NASP membership benefits and events, please feel free to reach out to info at naspnet.org or visit our website at www.naspnet.org. Until next time, have a great day.